Hey, y'all. Real quick before I hit play on this episode of Familypreneur for you, I want to be sure that you know that I have a brand new podcast available for you to check out. It's called Just Marketing, and you can find it on this podcast platform. Go ahead and search for Just Marketing and hit subscribe so you don't miss anything. Then come back here and listen to this episode of Familypreneur. It'll still be here waiting for you. Welcome to Familypreneur, the podcast for parent entrepreneurs raising kidpreneurs. It's time for your weekly dose of inspiration and actionable tips to build your business and find better balance, all while strengthening your family. And now we'd like to introduce your host. She's my mom and the bomb.com, Meg Brunson. Hey, welcome to episode number 13 of the Familypreneur podcast. Today, I'm really excited to introduce Angela Ferrari. Angela is an artist and children's book author-illustrator who's based in Portland, Maine. She's the creator and host of the Story Spectacular podcast. Angela grew up in the mountains of western Maine. Living in such a rural setting, she developed a talent for finding creative ways to play and captivate her imagination. After graduating with a BA in studio art from the University of Maine, she moved to Portland, Maine. She was accepted into the Assets for Artists program, which focused on business finance for creative entrepreneurs. After completing all of the required trainings, she received matching grant funds for working capital and then became a successful painter. Angela has since expanded her artistic endeavors, writing and illustrating three children's books, Digger's Daily Routine, an extraordinary book, and What Do You See? Most recently, Angela has launched Story Spectacular, a children's story podcast. The show features original stories and classic retellings. Hi, Angela. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Meg. Thanks for having me. Let's hear about your podcast. I wanted you to tell us exactly what you podcast about because it's very family friendly. So let's start there. I host Story Spectacular. It's a children's story podcast that features music, original stories, lots of characters, and even a joke or two. Awesome. And what was your motivation for starting that? My motivation was I had so many interests and I was trying to find a way for a long time to focus my art where I could wear a lot of different hats. I could tell stories, inject my humor. And one, one part of my creativity that's been on the back burner for so long was music. It was something I haven't been able to express since I was in high school. And now I finally get to uh, have like a 365 degree creative with this podcast. Do you play music? Do you write music? I do both. I sing, I write music and score it. And some of the characters, I even do character voices, singing or rapping along too. So it's different every time. That seems like it's so much fun. And do you have kids yourself? I don't have kids, but uh, many people in my life have our parents. They have children. So I'm around lots of little mentors all the time. And you told me that your parents influenced your path to entrepreneurship, right? They did. I grew up in rural Maine. I mean, Maine's already a very rural state, and I grew up in a very rural area of Maine. I was very fortunate to have both parents in the home. My dad worked really, really hard. He was a carpenter, and then he'd come home 
And there are so many chores to do, especially getting ready for our long winters. The big chore that we had growing up was cutting and stacking wood. And we'd spend every weekend, he would always include my brother and I outside. We would have competitions of who could stack fastest. We'd listen to classic rock music and tell stories and jokes. And it was my favorite thing. I I loved it. I even found a journal that I kept as a kid with a prompt that said, what's your favorite activity? And I wrote, my favorite activity is stacking wood. I love to see how much I could stack. And I'm like reading this back as an adult thinking, was I being brainwashed? Like what was going on here? Now, when I look back, I think that I was experiencing that that concept of flow, that contentment of doing something tedious and repetitive and just feeling very secure and happy and, and getting to go inward in my mind and use my imagination while doing an activity over and over again. It's awesome that he was able to make something so, dare I say, boring. I mean, I- yeah, no, it, I mean, <laughs> it is. It's, it's boring work and it never ends. It's all winter every year. And it's just one of those things, you know, you, you know, you have to do it. So you do it. And, but he made it fun. He really did. And I mean, to this day, I still, I have those sense memories when I'm in somebody's house that has a wood stove that stacks wood. Because the thing about people that have wood stoves in their house is that's the reward. So getting to experience that later down the road where you get to cozy up and cuddle up, it's, it's really comforting. And we try to do that too, make the, the boring stuff fun. We always do races with our kids. Yes. When they say they don't want to clean up, we're like, who's going to win? <laughs> and then we'll start counting down, like who's picking up the most toys? And suddenly, cleanup goes a lot faster. Do you think that that fostered your creativity? Because you're obviously a very creative person. Do you think that was your dad? Yeah, I think so. And I think, I mean, like I said, we we grew up with no neighbors around. So I was a kooky, loud kid. I could be as loud as I wanted to. I was definitely living in an imaginative space pretty often. But I think the big thing that my dad taught me was how to combine work with play. I think that's the biggest lesson I've had. So even when I'm doing something now, like editing a podcast, which is really tedious, I still find that flow, that feeling of contentment, not only can I get through a job, I can be happy doing it. Do you have any tips for that? Because I do not enjoy editing my podcast. Yeah. I'd love to know how you shift your mindset to thinking that this isn't boring, mundane work. I look at it as an ingredient to making, like think about baking a pie. It's that thing that you have to do to get to the reward, which is the podcast. Like getting to do all the fun stuff. Yeah, I could do that all day. But the tedious stuff, what I try to do is tackle that first at the beginning of the day so I can get to my dessert, my reward at the end. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. The mindset shift, I guess. Yeah. And what about your mom? My mom was, um, she's a speech pathologist. So she had a whole identity and career outside of the house that I always really appreciated. And again, I mean, they worked really hard. We were very comfortable, but we didn't have a lot of money for extras. So a lot of those trendy things, like the, the big toy that all the girls my age had were the American Girl dolls. And we, we just couldn't afford the dolls, but my mom would always come home with the books about the girls, the historical fiction stories about them, and even some craft books. So there was one American Girl doll I was obsessed with, and I read all her books, and it was Molly, the one with glasses. Mm-hmm. So 
I don't know when it happened, but at some point I started treating her like an imaginary friend and thinking that the Molly from the past was going to come visit me in the future. (laughs) So I was thinking, oh man, when Molly comes here, she's going to be blown away by my mom's station wagon. Or man, Molly's going to flip her lid when she sees our console TV. So by the end of it, I started, instead of thinking about the doll I didn't have, I started looking around and thinking about all the cool things we did have in our house. And my mom, I think the biggest thing she taught me was was gratitude. And your mom was supportive of all of your creativity then. Yeah, I, I look back at all the messes I made in my room. All the I was one of those little kids that was a hoarder that I would save every JCPenney magazine because I'd have to make collages out of it or every seashell I ever found at the beach. She was very patient with me and very, very supportive. Even though we have very different personalities, I think that that's one of the, the biggest gifts my mom gave me was indulging my creative whims. Tell me about what led up to where you are now. How did you end up entrepreneurial like this? Well, I learned from a young age that I was doing my best when I could focus my creativity into a big project because I have a lot of energy and I do have the stamina to do something long-term as long as it's something I'm really excited about. I couldn't just do it with any kind of assignment. It had to be one that I was personally attached to and passionate about. Then I could go the distance. So in high school, I pursued art and music, carried that through into college, and I graduated with a BA in studio art. And leaving college, I felt really good about the craft of making art, but I wasn't really focused at that time on how to make a living. That didn't happen until I was in the real world, paying rent, being an adult with responsibilities for the first time. And playtime felt over at that point. So I wanted to find a way where I could do both. I could work and play. And I waited tables and uh, sold seashells by the seashore to cruise ships that were unloading. That's the first business I had. I worked my way up to being a landscape painter. And for eight years, that's what I've been known in my community was as a painter. I fostered a relationship with a really popular restaurant and uh, exclusively hang my paintings in their space. It complements their brand. And I've, over the past eight years, sold hundreds of paintings just from that one space. And I I was really content with what I was doing, but there were still these things inside me that I didn't feel like I was getting to express. But I was nervous. I didn't know how do I I take a really simple art business and grow it? How do I take on something more complex? And the first thing I did was I looked in my community at what resources were available, either free or very cheap. And it started with a small business development center. I worked with a mentor there. And... um, that led me to enroll in a program called Assets for Artists. It's a program that teaches entrepreneurship for creative people. So not only did I learn, you know, just basic personal finance, but business finance, taxes. And through that program, I also received matched savings. So when I graduated, I had some working capital to put into a business. That experience really gave me a lot of confidence and also taught me the importance of having mentors in person to go to. I felt like it helped me be more accountable. I felt a lot more supportive. So I continue to look for not only online resources, but people I can talk to in person as well. And now I also have a writer's critique group 
because I also write and illustrate children's books. It helps me vet ideas. It helps give me perspective from people that are completely different from me that have a whole different point of view to collaborate with. And I contribute a lot of that to my confidence in feeling successful going into a new venture. That's awesome. So you you value networking and, and masterminding and... Now, how did you find the local resources? Like, I'm just wondering, did you just like, Google search it? Yeah, I started out, my boss at the time was a graduate at our local university. He was a business major. And he, I would say he was my first mentor. I felt really comfortable asking him questions. He was really different from me and he was a successful business owner. And I wanted to know what where he got his start. And um, so one person leads you to another person. So he led me to my first mentor at the Small Business Development Center who led me to enroll in the Assets for Artists program. And that gave me more confidence to start activating my network, even just on Facebook, asking questions, hey, you know, who knows about this? Who knows about that? And people would, people are always happy to answer things if you're asking for help. So that's how one thing led to another. And it also led me to start taking on a new identity it's really hard to switch gears sometimes, especially going from being a painter to being a writer. I, I didn't feel very comfortable calling myself an entrepreneur or an author. I was afraid I was going to alienate my audience. But once I started meeting with people in person, it made me take myself a lot more serious for that next step too. That's awesome. And I think it's important to know that there are free resources and many of them locally, even in rural Maine, anywhere where you can get a mentor or get a head start or get some resources. So that's a good, that's definitely good advice, I think. What tools or, or tricks have, have helped you find balance? I mean, it's, it sounds like you've got a lot going on with you're still painting and you're podcasting. Mm-hmm. You know, you're obviously multi-passionate in this creative space. How do you balance everything? Oh, man. It, you know, it's so funny how entrepreneurs will work 80 hours a week to avoid the 40-hour work week. I have so much going on right now. So the biggest thing I have to do is stick to a very strict routine. And it's hard. I've had to give up a lot of things that I I used to enjoy doing, like little TV shows I used to like to watch or other groups that I was involved in. I've had to take a break some months because I have so much on my plate. But it's a discipline that I know I have to follow in order to get what I want. So I wake up pretty early every day and I tackle the worst first. Usually it's a tech issue, editing issue. But to find balance, because I can't work all the time, I like to get out once a day. Um, I usually go to like a yoga class or a dance class in my area. I get to, you know, hang out with other parents, people in my community. It's really refreshing and it's something that's a creative outlet that's just fun. I feel totally rejuvenated usually when I take those breaks, come back, and then I do the fun stuff in the afternoon. That's something that it works for me. I mean, that kind of routine might not be perfect for someone else, but I think just coming up with a routine that works for you is really, really important. Yeah. And then having something that personally fulfills you. Sometimes I find that I'm sitting at my desk for the entire day. And by the end of that day, it's, you can feel the burnout. You know, you have to get up and walk away. You have to take a lunch, if you will, walk away for a break. There's some apps that have helped you too, right? Yes. Yeah. What are some of your favorite apps? I started this morning doing a meditation from Simple Habit. It's a meditation app. It's only about five to 10 minutes a day, but that really is a great way to start the day. You get to 
let go of any stress and focus on what you're thankful for, what gratitude you have. It's a great practice to get into because as a solopreneur, everything's on you and you feel like any good or any bad, you know, it's hard to let go of the things you don't have control over. And this app really helps me do that. And I also really like Evernote. I'm always taking notes on the go. I have ideas come to me all all the time, usually when I'm doing something else. So it's always very convenient to have a way to catalog those ideas, enter them in quick, and then move on. So that's an app that I, I'm using all the time. I think those two are maybe the most important ones to me. And one seems to be a little more business focused, maybe. Yep. And one a little more personal focused, which is nice. Yeah. What about other podcasts that you listen to? I know you're a big podcast listener. I am. I'm a total fangirl of podcasts. So I, uh, one of my favorite ones right now is Every Little Thing. It's hosted by Flora Lichtman. What I like about that show is they deep dive into stuff that you just wouldn't give a second thought about. So like, for example, she has an episode about houseplants Hmm. and it blew my mind. It's the story of how these houseplants get into our house or into our office. And you never really think about that kind of thing. But now when I walk around my house, I see them in a whole, whole new way. So she's inspired a lot of creative ideas by listening to her podcast. I also really like the $100 MBA. It's taught by Omar Zenholm. He's a wonderful teacher. He's really enthusiastic and gives some great resources for other steps to take, other directions to go into if you need to specialize in something more. But he's, he's a great start for somebody who didn't go to school for business. Yeah, I could probably use that. I definitely did not go to school for business. So... <laughs> And I think there's a lot of us out there. Mm-hmm. And you didn't either because you were art, right? No, exactly. Was that a hard transition for you? Like what areas did you feel like you struggled with most? I feel like so often I, I reflect on what I'm doing. And right now for me, it's taxes mm-hmm. where I'm like, nobody told me this. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like what, what are some of those things for you that you were like, whoa, I didn't even know that this was a thing. I mean, I think in general, I was, I was scared of money. In art school, there's a little bit of a culture of if you're successful financially, maybe you're selling out or something. That's not true with everyone, but in the collegiate setting, it, it comes up here and there. So when I graduated and took that Assets for Artists program, we worked with a mentor named Esther the very first day. She taught us a, a new way of looking at money, that it's a tool to allow you to do the things you need to do. And whether you have a lot or have very little, you're going to be thinking about it. It's going to be a stress or something that you can, you know, use to your advantage. So that mind shift was a really good first step. And I mean, I'm learning things every day. The tax side of things is always complicated. But what I really love too from that program, it taught me further how to look for resources. There's a bunch of tutorials, even just from the IRS website that you can walk your way through. So just knowing where to go to, to get help is really great that we have nowadays you can just plug in your question and find answers online. And having that network of people that you can ask too and being willing mm-hmm. and open to asking questions. Like it's okay. I feel like sometimes we yeah. entrepreneurs especially we're used to just doing it all ourselves. Yeah. You know, but it's okay to ask for help and accept help. What would your number one piece of advice be for a parent pursuing entrepreneurship or for a new entrepreneur? I would say that 
whatever you have inside of you, whatever story you have to tell or creative venture you have, just go for it. I mean, there's no excuse nowadays with all of the advantages we have with technology. You can not only, you know, write a book or make your own website, not only do you have the tools to pursue, but you also have the tools to promote. What are your favorite ways to promote what you're doing? I like to have a balance between um, online and in-person. So right now, I mean, I have, I have the podcast that's promoting the books, but I also have a newsletter and a blog that talks about the stories behind the story. So I'm definitely bootstrapping and coming up with a lot of ways to, you know, cast a wide net. But my favorite way to promote is anything I can do in person to get in front of kids. That's my favorite way. For example, this Halloween, we have a huge parade, uh, thousands of people in our neighborhood that dress up and they do the Halloween parade. So I dressed up and handed out bookmarks of my brand attached to pieces of candy. And then over the holidays, there have been like a lot of silent auctions with preschools in my area. So I've donated books, gone and done some readings, meeting with parents, educators, and kids. And uh, I mean, just all of that really inspires me. I love getting to talk to kids because I get to tailor my work more to meet their needs. And it helps me do my job better while promoting. Can you tell me a little bit about your books? Yeah, I have three books out right now. The first one is called What Do You See? And it's about my love for the outdoors and nature. So each page, it's a picture of, like, say, the, the lines that are in your hand is one page. And then that pattern is similar to the lines of a tree branch or the way that rivers and streams flow to the ocean. So each page illustrates that pattern over and over again. What I like about that is after children read the book, they can go out in nature and find their own patterns too that fit. And then I have another book called Digger's Daily Routine. It's about a dog named Digger who does the exact same thing every day, eats breakfast and goes to work. And his work is digging for rocks and lining them up in a rock wall. And then one day, Digger's routine completely changes. There's a whole underground cave scene with really bright gems and a whole action sequence ensues. And needless to say, his routine is never the same by the end of the book. What I like about that book is it kind of shows that even though something doesn't go exactly your way, it can be a good thing. And so I really like that one. It's a good lesson for kids and adults. And then the book that I I think I've had the most response with is called An Extraordinary Book. And it's about all these different ways you can interact with a book. So one page will be a red hat and you can put it up on your head. Or another page is the steering wheel of a car and you can drive it. And uh, that book uh, has been read in a few different classrooms and even had one kindergarten class write their own versions of The Extraordinary Book. And they came up with just some amazing ideas for their own pages, things I never would have thought of. So I was so excited to see that something I did inspired all this other creativity. It sounds like Digger might be a more typical book Mm -hmm. with a story. Yeah. But I love that the other two are are out-of-the-box books. They are. You're performing them. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. And then where are your books sold? Right now, they're primarily online through my website and on Amazon. I feel like my target audience, busy parents on the go, that's their preferred way to shop right now. So I've been doing pretty well just with that method. 
Yes. And so these books would probably be good to like toss at your kids so you can get work done, right? Yeah. Like that's what I'm always looking for is things that they can keep my kids occupied. Yeah, I, I like that. And and the podcast is fun too because they can still be playing with a toy or something else and listen in the background. There is one story, The Shape Escape, that's about a triangle, a circle, and a square. And I played that story for some kids and then asked questions after. And I asked them, oh, you know, what color do you think the circle was? Or do you think the triangle had arms and legs? And even though all these kids were listening to the same story, they all had different visions in their heads of what these things look like, what the whole world looked like. So I like, I love the difference between telling an audio story and then also telling a visual story. It's really, really cool how different those two mediums are. Yeah, because the audio gives them more time to, or more space, rather, to be creative. Mm-hmm. And when do you think, do you have an idea for when most of your kids are consuming these podcasts? I mean, are they something that parents play in the cars or at home? The problem I try to solve is car rides and bedtimes. I think those can be tricky times and also a great opportunity for your kid to focus on these these stories more. That's the most feedback I've heard from parents that are saying, this is when we play your show. And it's usually, they, they like to hear the story over and over again. How long are they? So I have the flagship show, which drops every Monday. Those episodes are typically 10 to 12 minutes. They have a, a unique original story, usually a song and a reoccurring segment. And then on Fridays, I release episodes called Sleepy Time Tales, which are mini episodes. They're bedtime stories and lullabies. And those ones are a little bit shorter, about eight minutes. That's great. And I love that you've got the two different kinds. Mm-hmm. I love how you have so many different elements, but they all tie in together and kind of support each other and, and cross-promote each other. Where else can our listeners find you? So storiespectacular.com, that's the one-stop shop for the videos, the books, and the podcast. And my podcast is available on all the major outlets, so iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere you listen to podcasts. And then um, if you wanted to follow me on Twitter and social media, I'm at Storytacular. Um, And then we even have a Story Spectacular Facebook page. That's great. And we'll link to all of those in the show notes for sure. Are there any other last thoughts you have for us? Again, whatever music you have inside you, now's the time to let it out. Don't, don't wait any longer. Let this be the year that you, that you pursue it. Yeah, make 2018 the year or whatever year it is that you're listening to this. Thank you so much for joining us, Angela. It's been a pleasure to chat with you and learn more about the podcast and your books and all of your endeavors and, and how your parents influence you. Meg, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate being here today. You can find all of the links and a special excerpt from Angela's story, Digger's Daily Routine, by going to megbrunson.com slash 13. In the previous episode, we met Monique Parker. Monique joined us to discuss empowering and equipping young people to live independent lives as successful adults. As entrepreneurs, we can't produce the profits and success we desire if we're stressed out about our kids' academic, personal, and future plans after graduation. It's a can't-miss interview, so if you did miss it, you'll want to go back and check it out. Next week, we'll interview Alyssa Truman. 
Alyssa always knew that she wanted to be a mom, and she turned to direct sales as a way to bring in some extra money. Twelve years later, she's still with the same direct sales company and has a lot of valuable tips, tricks, and advice surrounding balancing family and business. So whether you're a direct sales rep or thinking of joining a direct sales company or an entirely different type of entrepreneur altogether, Alyssa's interview provides a ton of value for all parent entrepreneurs. Bye, guys. See you next week. Don't miss my mom's next episode. Subscribe to the Familypreneur podcast and automatically get access to the newest episodes every week.